When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and the well-groomed and beautiful Jeremiah Searles for another episode of Tuesday Morning Left Guard. And uh, we could call it Tuesday Morning IR if you want to, to start in the most obvious place. Jeremiah, your reaction to Justin Jefferson, hamstring injury, injured reserve out at least for the next four weeks. Well, it makes me really sad because that means it's a pretty bad hamstring pull. You know, if you have a hamstring tweak or a strain and, you know, it's like, okay, let's leave him a couple weeks. Maybe we'll work him back in the third week and then he'll be back in four weeks, like on the fourth week or maybe even in that third week. But to put a guy on IR means they got an MRI. They went in there, they looked at it and they're like, this is going to take some serious time for you to get back up to where you need to be. And that's a crushing loss to this offense. I mean, crushing loss to the league. He's fun to watch. Everyone tunes in to watch Justin Jefferson play the game because he's so explosive. He's so good with the ball in his hands. And massive blow to a team that needs every star player that they can possibly get right now to try and find ways to get in the win column. And to lose him to an IR is going to be a big detriment to this offense. It most certainly is as impressed as I was by Jordan Addison the other day and uh, just watching the all 22 back. It was even better than I thought it was. I mean, he really roasted some dudes off the line of scrimmage. And so there's an exciting element of, okay, well, he gets to kind of be wide receiver one and all right, let's see what you got. And uh, it's a good test for him. But with Jefferson, yes, I enjoy watching Justin Jefferson play football. So does the rest of the universe. It is a massive blow to their offense. The crazy thing to me is how much of their offense over the last few years has purely been Justin Jefferson. The running game has been inconsistent. The other weapons around him have been inconsistent. I don't think we've seen nearly enough from K.J. Osborne and from T.J. Hawkinson to trust that you can lose Justin Jefferson. And even though you have the names and guys with past histories who should be able to step up, now how many teams even have two good wide receivers and a highly paid tight end and two of the best tackles in football? Like, this doesn't seem like it should be as devastating as it is, but Osborne and Hawkinson have just not done enough in the running game consistency-wise to give you a ton of confidence that this is going to work out. It also makes me really wonder, you know, when you talk about those guys not being, like, big factors, but how much attention was defense is giving to Justin Jefferson with the, the double and the bracket coverage and all that? You're going to see teams that don't have to do that anymore and can truly just kind of sit back there and play whatever system they want to play. Right? We talk about it on, on offense of like the werewolf of who's the guy, who's the star, that the game wrecker that we got to take care of and neutralize on defense. Well, Justin Jefferson was that on the other side. Right? You walk into your defensive meeting room on a Monday morning and you're playing the Vikings the following Sunday and you're going, hey, we got to know where 18 is. 
at all times, all points of the game, we can't lose eyes off 18. Well, you lose that element now, and there's really no player on the Vikings that you circle star and go, he's the game wrecker. He's the dude that's going to run up and down the field and beat us. So you're going to see a lot more of defenses be able to just kind of play their game, play the scheme that they want to play until someone else emerges of being that guy. And you nailed it. It's got to be TJ Hawkinson. And I don't know if you can say it has to be Addison because we haven't seen enough of that, but he has the potential to do it. I think he has the potential to go out and be a dude, but at the end of the day, he's still a rookie. Right, I had my light baby blue bo- watch on Justin Jefferson when he was a rookie, and I may have missed the boat on that, but it's same for Addison. Yes, he looked great. He looked the part. But when you are wide receiver one now, there becomes a lot more pressure for you. Right, You're now having plays and entire offensive schemes that uh, KOC are going to look and go, hey, this is what we want to run for you. It's a it's a lot of pressure to put on a young player like that, so it does need to fall on the shoulders of T.J. Hawkinson, and it does need to fall on the shoulders of K.J. Osborne, and even Josh Oliver or some of these other guys that are going to have to be more involved. The screen game was this close to being good again. No, but things are going to have to revamp because you can't just have the security blanket of, all right, where's 18? Okay, let's just find a way to get him the football. I think that this is a real challenge for Kevin O'Connell, and I I don't want to stray too far away from Justin Jefferson going on IR because it is a massive impact, but it does tie back into O'Connell. He got a lot of criticism for the timeout stuff the other day, and that is deserved criticism. You just cannot blow through three timeouts in a one-score game where every possession is going to matter. Also, your quarterback can't throw a three-yard pass that wastes 20 seconds off the clock. And uh, when you have a minute left trying to drive down the field, but that's, you know, we've seen that before. Old news. Yeah, right. right. Not the first time. But when it comes to O'Connell, how do we evaluate Kevin O'Connell? Because this is a one and four start. Everyone deserves to get criticized for a one and four start. That's not where we expected you to be. Uh, Expected the season to still be very much in play at this point. Even if it was two and three, that would have been better. There have been times where I've felt like his offensive play design has been fantastic. Receivers are open. There's opportunities. He clears out a lot, gets space for his receivers. There have been other times where I've felt like the offense is just a roller coaster that has way too many dips to compete. And when you score 20 points and Hey, look, there was one fumble, not five. So like you can avoid, you can overcome one turnover in a game, but their offense has been middling and the game management hasn't been like pristine, fantastic. A plus. I think that there is some room for a critique here with Kevin O'Connell. Yeah, and a lot of that comes from just the operation standpoint. You know, I'm going to put the play calling aside for now. And just as a second-year head coach, you didn't have a ton of turnover on your staff. You didn't have a turnover at the quarterback position. The operation of getting the personnel, getting the play call, getting the formation, everyone getting lined up, it's an inexcusable error. And a lot of that is just a lack of focus. You know, it's a lack of focus because it's something that you should drill and you've been drilling since day one of OTAs. It shouldn't become an issue. And so there's somewhere in the chain of command of getting things called, there's a there's a blip. And they got to really look into what that is and what is causing that, whether it's the uh, taking too long to get the initial play call or Kirk having to repeat it because he's trying to talk to someone else and get lined up. And then really just if you're a young player or any player, focusing in on the play call and hearing the one specific thing that is for you. You know, that's one thing I don't know if people understand. The play call is this long 
verbiage, lots of different words and numbers and things, but everyone on the position is only listening for one or two things, right? The receivers don't care what the protection is, right? The, just like the alignment don't care what the route concept is, but you have to be so dialed in when you're in that huddle that you're listening so that you don't have two or three seconds to waste going, Hey, what was the snap counter? Hey, was that doubles right? Or was that trips right? Right. You can't be so caught up on, okay, what was that route called that you forget the formation? And that's part of it in there, but also there's a communication factor between whoever's in whoever's in his ears. And I think it's KOC who's in who's in Kirk's helmet, right? They need to find a way to communicate better non-verbally, right? Because Kirk can't have a conversation with KOC that's a one-way radio, goes right into his brain. Like they have to find a way to streamline that communication quicker so that there isn't all these pre-snap issues happening, which are what's causing us to burn these timeouts. Yeah, and also getting a delay of game. And this is why I didn't have much sympathy for the flag being picked up. And I haven't looked that closely at that play. Uh, I understand why Vikings fans would be irritated at that. I get frustrated with what is pass interference. So does everybody else. But when you are sitting at fourth and 12, because you got a delay of game that moved you back from fourth and seven, it's a lot more manageable. And you have to throw you know a balloon down the sideline with hopes and dreams. Well, you kind of made your own bet when it came came to that and that is how are you getting a delay of game penalty at that point in the game where the call needs to be in and I, I think it goes back to spike gate that happened at the end of the uh, Chargers game where it's like whose whose job is it to call for a spike and O'Connell we know he's going to defend his players no matter what so it's hard to say whether it was his call or not because he said well in hindsight I should have spiked it and I it was my call to go for that but then there was a whole well, Kirk couldn't hear me in his helmet and et cetera, et cetera. So you're like, wait a minute, what was going on here? Did you actually want the spike? And you're just like falling on the sword here because it went sideways. Either way, the, a little bit of a communication issue, the, hel the helmet, the headset, not knowing what to do, looking scrambly. I mean, there's always a little scramble in Kirk Cousins game. But I don't recall too many times with Gary Kubiak or with Kevin Stefanski where they were just taking delay of game penalties or calling timeouts. And there was a weird situation where Garrett Bradbury got pulled off the field by the concussion spotter. And that, okay, I guess I can excuse one because that was weird. But even then, it's a perpetual thing where they seem to be getting a lot of these types of penalties. And, okay, if you're on the road at Green Bay – I get it. I understand it happens sometimes, stuff like that. You're at home mm -hmm. at U.S. Bank Stadium. I just don't get it. And I wondered, I don't know if you saw this clip. Did you see where Peyton Manning and Eli Manning were doing the, like, where, were they, where they have the headset thing? Yep. And Peyton yep. Manning's like, shut up. Like, I, I don't need to, I just give me the play call, and then I'll figure out the rest. I have wondered how much Kevin O'Connell, a big talker, has to say inside of Kirk Cousins' headset and if he likes that or not, because that wouldn't be a thing that he would like come out and tell us unless he wanted to make national headlines for flaming his coach for talking too much in his headset. But it has gone through my mind that O'Connell would be the guy who look for the linebacker, look for the safety, look for this read or that read. And I wonder if that can sometimes be a little overwhelmed. Yeah, and I'm sure most people know, but for those that don't, like the headset shuts off at 15 seconds left on the play clock. So that's when the hard out. So, I mean, they could be trying to call a play, and all of a sudden it's at 18 seconds, and all of a sudden KOC's like, by the way, you got to watch out for the – and then it just stops, right? And he's like – looks over, like, what on one, ready, break, right? Like, that is 100% a thing. And the other thing that I noticed, I don't know if you saw this on the tape and you watched it back, 
they started sending Blitz Zero at us at the end of the game multiple times in a row, and I didn't feel like we really had an answer for it. You know, and that comes back to to if you're breaking the huddle or you're getting there at 10 seconds on the shot clock, eight seconds on the shot clock, you don't have time to try and check and get into a better play to beat some of that cover zero or to beat the certain blitzes that Spagnola was sending after you. And that all comes back to what I talked about at the beginning of this. The operation at the beginning of the play call, as soon as that 40-second clock, has to be more mainlined. It just has to be a well-oiled machine. No no hits in the system. No repeat that. No looking over there and seeing the quarterback go like this and I, I need it again. Right, It has to be more mainline so that we have ourselves to put ourselves in a position to be able to combat some of the stuff the defense does, which is why you saw like Philip Rivers, Peyton Manning, Eli, like all those old heads, they used to snap it with one left on the shot clock, but they used to be at the line of scrimmage by like 17, right? Get in, get out of the huddle, have some pace. Let's get up to the line of scrimmage, see the whole picture, and then have some answers to it. I, I'll have to, I mean, you might have a stat for me eventually, but what is like, I'd love to know what our average time of breaking the huddle and getting up and actually getting set looks like compared to some of the rest of the league. Cause I feel like we're really late getting out of the huddle and getting up to the ball. Now there's one, I don't think even PFF has ever thought of, mm. but uh, maybe they would like that. Now you make an interesting point though, because one of the things I noticed about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs was how well they picked up Flores' blitzes. And there's, there's sort of been this thing like, hey, don't blitz Mahomes. He's really genius. And that's true. But they also pick them up. And I think that's on the quarterback. And I, I'm sure they have a good center and they're working together. But a quarterback like him is probably setting the protection, right? So yep. it feels like if you get out of the huddle quickly to the line of scrimmage, you can play the I check, you check game with the linebacker. And then you can spot where the blitzes are coming, make your protection adjustments. And also it was like half of a home game for Kansas city. So it may not have been that loud, but I noticed everybody went where they were supposed to be when it came to those blitzes. And I was like, okay, that doesn't happen with the Vikings all the time. And I wondered if there was like something with that, that operation though, that shouldn't be happening at this point. And that's where, yes, some things we can say have been unlucky. And I hear this every time anyone talks about the Vikings, well, boy, the luck just came for him. It's like, and they've made a lot of their own luck. And I really thought that was the case in Kansas city. Some three and outs that were kind of inexcusable, some penalties, some game management, and this all results in why you're a one in four football team. It's not just that bad luck came for you. And, and look around the league. Look at the other one in four football teams. They have the same issues. Look at the Giants. They're taking delay games. They're taking timeouts. Like, yes, they, they have an excuse of being beat up. Like the Vikings don't have that excuse. Yes, Jefferson's out. But like the Vikings, the, the Giants have just been gutted, especially up front with injuries. But you I mean, I watched the Bears. You know, I watch some of these other teams that are bad football teams and they have the same type of issues. The difference being a lot of those dudes are kind of in newer regimes. You know, the Giants are similar to KOC. It's the second year under their regime. And so, like, is there some regression going on through some of that? But that type of stuff loses you football games in the NFL where the margin for victory in the NFL is already so small week to week. It doesn't matter if you're the worst team in the NFL or the best team in the NFL. The margin for error is very small, and those things start to compound over weeks, right? When you can't get lined up, you can't get a whole snapshot of the picture in front of you as a quarterback. You can't tell is it man or zone. You you lose the advantage of having a motion that maybe is a pre-snap indicator. Like you lose all of those slight edges that 
maybe it's in the first quarter, but that first quarter could have turned into an extended drive that turned into points that matters in the fourth. You know, when you having those issues that are coming up at critical points in the game that maybe not seem like a two minute drill or whatever, but it's just a first and 10 with eight minutes left in the third but you're scrambling and you don't get to see something. Now you're looking at second and 10, you end up punting. Those are critical moments in the game that are kind of those hidden yardages and hidden things that when you don't take advantage of, it comes back to bite you in the end. And we just had too many of those from week zero, week one to where we're at now that it's no longer like, oh, we'll get that fixed. It's what is the problem? Like, I don't know if we were able to identify what the problem is. And that's the bigger issue at hand. Make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL Part of your game day. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame one hour before NFL games and get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Folks, we are going all in on prize picks this football season. Every week we are playing and testing out our skills here on Purple Insider to see if we could predict what numbers players will put up every Sunday. If you haven't heard of it, trust me, you're going to want to check it out. Prize picks is the easiest and best way to play daily fantasy. Instead of battling against thousands of other players and people who spend their entire lives doing fantasy, all you do is pick more or less on between two and six player stat projections so say a quarterback's number is 250.5 yards go more or less and bang you are playing and you can pick from hundreds of players and numbers this football season the cool thing is that it's quick and easy and does not cost an arm and a leg you can turn ten dollars into 250 just like that again the perfect way to fit it into a busy day click click and you're playing this isn't just something that i like you're going to hear us doing every single week prize picks on the show on purple insider so go to prizepicks.com purple and use the code purple for a first deposit match up to 100 that's prizepicks.com purple with the code purple daily fantasy sports made easy In each one of these games, there's been one drive where it's like, this is the one where you can hang in or we can make this a real fight and not fall down by two scores. And there was a three and out that happened. And maybe there's a catchable ball there for TJ Hawkinson. I don't know, but there's always, there's always that three and out that time where they seem discombobulated or thrown off their game. And then they punt it away and the other team scores or the other team wears out a bunch of clock. And then you're scrambling at the end, hoping and praying. And you know, when Kevin O'Connell says about Philadelphia, Hey, we were an onside kick recovery away. Like, dude, come on, man. Like against the Chargers, 
Chargers, they had at one point only a 12% chance to win late in the third quarter. And then here against Kansas City, there was a point in the game early in the fourth quarter where they're down to about a 10% chance to win by the win probability models. It's like, if you're going to play that game and then say, well, we were close, not really. Like, you, if you wanted to stay close, you needed to be going back and forth. Not we're close, we're losing the whole game. And then we didn't lose by that much. They don't put that on the trophy. Didn't lose by that much. Uh, they, I mean, played from behind the whole day probably means you're not doing great. It's kind of like in basketball where you'll see a team get up by 20 early. The other team will go on a run. Oh, they close the gap to four. And then the other team just, you know, wins the game. And then after the game, their coach says, well, you know, I was proud of our guys. We closed that gap to four. Like put a banner up, man. Like that's uh, just, I don't know. Like uh, this is something that has gone on perpetually over the last, even two years at times, because there was a lot of offensive inconsistency that we forgot because Greg Joseph made a 60 yard field goal because Taylor Heineke threw him a football because Mike White, That'll do it. Like, uh, you know, just all those things that were going on last year, but a lot got papered over that I think is not just the Kirk Cousins thing that I don't know what they're supposed to do to address, but it needs to be fixed. But I do want to say, Jeremiah, the football gods who write the script for each season, they have a twisted sense of humor because the offensive line played the best game in years since you were playing for the 2017 Minnesota Vikings, I have not seen them play an offensive line game as well as they did against Kansas city. And to lose that game was, I think very frustrating for this team because you couldn't have asked anything better from not four of the offensive linemen, but all five. Yeah. Watching back the tape, you know, the first thing that pops out is like, man, Kirk, Kirk's got some space. Kirk's got some time. There's a few holes in the running game that are popping out here. You know, overall, I thought everyone, I completely agree with you, collectively played their best game as a group. And I don't know if getting that little bit's getting Garrett Bradbury back into that mix, you know, having him get back in there and settling everyone down and knowing that the calls are going to be made and everyone's going to be put in the right position. So everyone's a little less tense there. But both guards handled Chris Jones for the most part. I mean, Chris Jones is still going to make plays because he's Chris Jones. And but he took his turn trying to go on Darisaw on O'Neal. He bounced around like he likes to do. And he really only got Ezra Cleveland clean one time. And Ezra was able to push him by as he crossed his face and pushed him away. And Kirk stepped up, you know, and the true just four man rushes didn't really just get home and disrupt. Kirk had opportunities to throw good footballs and and make good decisions. And there was some tight coverage on the back end. But overall, I was really pleased with what this group and Chris Cooper was able to have this group ready to go against a pretty damn good front in Kansas City. Had 50 total dropbacks in the game and only 15 were pressured. Uh, did not play very well against the blitzes overall, which I think is something that Matt Eberflus dialed up a lot of against Washington and is going to definitely turn up again with Justin Jefferson out. That's kind of the, uh, the effect there, but Okay, so Ezra Cleveland's future is unclear. Ed Ingram's, I think, has moved from, oh my gosh, this is over. It looks so terrible. I don't want to watch anymore and burn my eyes out. To, wait, all of a sudden the last three games, he's been competent, if not good. And that's why I think Dalton Reisner hasn't played yet because they saw a little more from him over these last couple of weeks. I mean, the only one who might leave in free agency is Ezra Cleveland. And he's, you know, more or less of a weak link. I I think that as we start to move toward the possibility of discussing the future on this show each week, 
that's a it's an interesting development that Bradbury came back and looked really, really good. And that the right guard position has not been a disaster the last couple of weeks. And the tackles, are they getting better? Is it just me? Or like, like I think this has been the best year even for Darisaw and O'Neill. Like this offensive line is legit. Yeah, I mean, Darisaw, I mean, we saw it last year and we we're like, man, if he can continue to develop and even get better because he's still a young kid, young player, you're seeing his development as a pass protector get better every single week. He's he's adding tools to his tool belt. You're seeing his jump set. You're seeing his ability to flash his hands. And then a guy puts his hands out and he traps him and he falls down. I mean, he put Chris Jones on his face twice with that. You know, one of the best pass rushers in the league. And then O'Neal, you were I was concerned about the fact coming off an Achilles issue, coming back, is he going to be the same guy? Is he going to have that same explosiveness out of his stance and trust his ability to put his feet in the ground? And he looks as polished as ever, too. And to have two championship tackles on the edges of a one-and-four football team is just a shame because it is so hard to find one great offensive lineman. But when you have two and you still can't find ways to win, you know you're on a ticking clock because guys only play at that such a high level for so long. Now, Darisaw's going to do it for a long time, but O'Neal's getting older. You know, he's getting a little older, and you're paying him a lot of money, and Darisaw's going to back the Brinks truck up here in a couple years and be like, listen, remember Trent Williams? Yeah, I want that. I want that kind of money that you paid him. And you're going to have to pay it to him because he's playing at that type of a level, but so fun to watch those two play well, and you got to see... The question has been forever, is it Kirk's fault or is it the O-line's fault? And you can't look at this game and go, that is the offensive line's fault, why they played that way or why Kirk played such a way. And that's going to be an issue because that's been kind of the fallback for all the Kirk lovers forever. Been like, well, you see what he did? You can't make chicken salad out of chicken. You know what? Right. And it's like, well, did he? Because this was really clean game by this offensive line, keeping him upright. But I reserve the right, and I'm not, because I've had to do this before. I've had to do a retraction on the show before. I reserve the right to say I need to see it happen again and again and be consistent because the definition of a good offensive line is consistency. Anyone can dial it up for a week. Anyone can buckle up and go and balls to the wall, make it happen, and be like, man, that was great. But a great offensive line does it week in and week out consistently. And so until this O-line, as this group, does it consistently, I reserve the right to say and retract everything I just said. <laughs> hey, they do play San Francisco in two weeks, so it's we'll possible. See. We'll you see. Know, uh, I'm going to give them a pass if they give up some pressures in that game. But uh, do you know where Darisaw and O'Neal rank by PFF among all tackles? Of course not. I'm going to take a gander. I'm going to take a gander that Darisaw's is probably number four and Brian O'Neill's seven. That is an incredible guess. They are four and six. Ah, so close. That's, that's... I started thinking about like who's better tackles in the league, and I can only name probably three or four that I would say are better than Christian Darisaw and probably only four or five that are better than Brian O'Neill. And this is, this is the crazy part about the start to this season, isn't it? You have the fourth and sixth best tackles, the number one wide receiver in football, and you're one and four. I mean, and this game that there were some people, it's always split. You know how this is, but some people were very upset at Kirk Cousins t- getting a lot of the criticism after the game in Kansas City. He himself took us through post game all the throws he was disappointed in. And one thing I wondered about, and we know how this works. Every time you make a statement about Kirk, the next week you're wrong. So if you say like, oh man, it's over for Kirk, then he throws for 400 and they win the game. You know, this is how it always goes with him. But he acknowledged that a lot of his throws were off 
and that he was letting the ball go a little bit high throughout the day. He took us through the play with KJ Osborne, which once we got the all 22, oh yeah, that was on the quarterback. He threw it way before uh, KJ was out of his break, which of course, if you're going on a break, you're turning your body one way and snapping it back the other. Like that's how the play works. And he just threw it too early. I, I wondered about Kirk Cousins taking more hits than anyone in the NFL last year. And if there would be some residual to that, and maybe this is like reaching on my part, but I have felt like there's been kind of a speeded up Kirk Cousins this year at times, even when the pressure isn't there, but sort of feeling it collapsing. And on that Osborne play, O'Neal gets pushed back a little bit and it was like, I'm getting rid of it. And there, but there was no pressure. And I feel like that's been there for him so far early in the season. And it was definitely there in that Kansas city game. Yeah, last year, it's no secret. His clock had to speed up. He got smacked over and over last year. And as a human being, you know, your body starts to tense up when you start having a little PTSD from last year. Oh, my ribs, right? So those things do happen to speed up. And I think your your nails, you're dead on on that. And it happens to a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, Daniel Jones is in has happened to that right now. Andrew Luck had that happen to him throughout his career. You know, you just start to feel a pressure. I mean, I even think back to watching the tape there. They sent a blitz, and the running back was kind of late to getting up there, and he stepped up and picked it up, but Kirk was already bailing out of the pocket, right? He's feeling these things, and I think he resorts back to, I got to create, I got to move, instead of just trusting, hey, the O-line's going to pick it up, my running back's going to pick it up, I trust these dudes. Yes, it might be a... I might be getting glancing blowed as I go here, but he's got to just trust these guys that they're going to pick it up and allow those routes to develop down the field. The really impressive thing to me about the fourth and the seventh best tackle is the fact of how many times we've had to throw the football because we've been behind. You know, usually you see those best tackles, those highest graded tackles are the teams that are pass blocking 23 times a game or 20 times a game, right? Trent Williams averages like, I think Brock Purdy threw like 14 throws or something like that the other night. Like, yeah, great. You can pass block 14 times when it's first and 10. It's a play action. No, but the Vikings have been in shootout games and trying to throw the ball to come back at the end of games against good pass rushers. And they still are ranking that high, which is still why it's so surprising to me that this is a one of four team. I mean, I look across the league. I'm like, this is, it's just too talented. This team is way too talented to be one and four. There, there's, I can't wrap my head around the fact that you have all this talent everywhere. And I know the defense has its own issues, but offensively, you should be able to stay in any game with anyone with the talent that we have. Yeah, and a big part of that is, and we can't ignore it, is that every football they've had a chance to intercept, they have not. And But that's a skill that's not random to me. I mean, when you have no Patrick Petersons on this defense, the only guy who's a true playmaker is Harrison Smith, and everybody else can't catch the football. I mean, that that is how you're built, and that's why you need someone special in the secondary, and it's in part why they drafted Lewis Seen was to hope that he could be that difference maker playmaker that he was in college. And when it's not that, then it's, well, Hey, Cam Bynum's playing pretty well. Right. But this is Xavier Woods. Like this is a guy who is awesome to that. He's in the league and that he's a starter and he's maximized his talent, but he's not going to ball out and just like moss a dude for an interception that way. And I'm sure he would say he should have caught it, but like they don't have these playmakers that could get you the turnovers back. And it ends up kind of that same conversation of how much can you overcome as the quarterback? And the answer is 
only so much unless things are going your way, uh, which they did last year. But I did have a thought. I did have a thought. So the big picture of Kirk Cousins, as we stand right now and with Jefferson out, it's hard to make an argument otherwise, is six years, one playoff win, a lot of meh, some fun. Lots, yeah, a good amount of fun, especially last year. But that's it, right? He's got a chance right here to turn this season around and leave a lasting legacy. I had this thought. I thought, like, what would be the most unpredictable thing for a team that's been wildly predictable for most of the time he's been here would be to go to Chicago, win by 20, beat San Francisco at home, get on a run, and Kirk Cousins somehow, now that he's not focusing on Jefferson, is dropping dimes left and right, and they turn the season around, and they make the playoffs, they win a playoff game, and Kirk is carried off the field in... I don't know, wherever, Detroit or something. I had this thought of like, I always try to think, what's the least predictable thing? For him, this is the last stand, I guess. Like going to Chicago is kind of the last stand of if you're going to do something special here, this is it. This is your last shot at doing it. Purple Insider is brought to you by BetterHelp. Friends, have you ever had times where you felt like your brain is getting in the way? Like maybe your brain is racing and you can't fall asleep or you can't slow down negative intrusive thoughts and you know you should look for help, but you haven't brought yourself to do it yet. Well, therapy can help you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself rather than working against yourself. Therapy can be as simple as finding training methods for yourself to learn positive skills to improve your everyday mental health. It isn't just for people who have gone through especially hard times, though of course it can help there as well, but even with just dealing with the day-to-day can be vastly improved with someone helping on your side. If you think that might be something that they would be helpful to you, try BetterHelp. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash insider today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash insider. Yeah, and I, I want to say, yeah, I believe in that, but I just, I just can't. You know, I, I just, it's hard for me to think Kirk Cousins, it's going to become something he's not. You know, I want him to. I, I root for the guy. I want him to be good. I want him to have the success. I want him to have everything that he's done. But with no Jefferson, I feel like the panicked Kirk Cousins is what we're going to see more than the MVP caliber. Let's go out and light the world on fire. Because when you lose your security blanket of the number one receiver in the world and you already have a slightly sped up clock in your head and now teams are going to start just dialing it up, right? Until someone can show they can beat man coverage on a consistent basis – you're going to see a blitz rate that this team has not seen since Justin Jefferson was on the field. It's going to be really interesting how Kirk responds to that. I hope you're right. I hope they go on a run. It makes our job a lot more fun to sit here and talk about it on Tuesday mornings. But I could see us going in, probably not Chicago. Chicago's awful. But you know, I could see us getting ran off the field by San Fran and, and things tanking from there. Have you had the thought of just blowing this whole thing up and going into the Drake May Caleb Williams sweepstakes here. I've had that thought. Have I had the thought? My thought, my thought the was thought. like, all right, Jefferson, 
take the year. Get healthy. Your hamstring's going to be tight for the next 12 weeks. Kirk, you like New York? You ever heard of New York? We're going to send you to New York. Hey, Harrison, you still like it here, or do you want to go win a Super Bowl somewhere? Right? And just start trying to literally jump ourselves into the sweepstake of, like, if we're going to do this, let's blow this thing up and move. That's the thought I had when I saw Jefferson was going on IR. He says, have I had the thought? (laughs) I have a tank in my driveway. I've had the thought. I've had the thought every day since they (laughs) lost to Atlanta to go one and five in the year 2020 is how long I've had the thought. Uh, So, yeah, it did come to mind. But uh, so here's the here's the question as regards to that. I think that in reality, when you have people who have different interests in the organization. You have owners who don't want to lose. You have a head coach who, if you take all his good players and ship them to Jacksonville, is probably going to be a little teed. But like when it comes to if you're the if you're the general manager right now, uh, our friends at Sumer Sports put out some analytics of Super Bowl odds. Do you know what they had at the Vikings Super Bowl odds at? Just mm. percentage wise out, out of 100. Would stay guess. 30. For the Super Bowl? For the like beginning of the year? Or are you talking about right now? No, 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 right now. And also oh, 30 I for the beginning like, of the year. Like beginning of the, I was going to say 30 at the beginning of the year. You know, I don't. I thought it was an eight-win team. Uh, gosh, I don't know. What, five? Three? Somewhere in there? Keep going. 0.1. Wow. If I am in the general manager's seat at this moment and my Super Bowl chances by the analytic folk are 0.1, I don't need to wait until Chicago because that was the mistake they made in 2020. Mm. They waited and they went to green Bay and they won a game and then they got all talked out. Well, you know, we've got the Jacksonville and the the Panthers and we can win those games and maybe make the playoff. Don't do it again. They're going to do it again, but don't do it again. (laughs) Like I'm saying now be on the phone today. I saw the Rams traded someone. You can do it. There are there are buyers. There are teams that are that are buying themselves right now as Super Bowl contenders. I would do it today. That doesn't necessarily mean Kirk. Like I don't I don't know. That one's hard, but it's not hard to trade an edge rusher. I mean, hey, go over there and do the same exact yeah. thing you do right now, right? <laughs> so, sorry, edge rushers, if that hurts your feelings, but facts are facts. So, I would be doing it today. I think it's a mistake not to be doing it today. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this team at this point, you have to start trying to build for the future. This year is, and I hate saying it, I mean, as a player, I'd be pissed off if someone was saying this, but you look at a broad perspective and a large lens of the bigger picture of what is the goals of this team, what is the goals of what we want to do, is be playoffs, win the Super Bowl, all that things, you can't start building it in January. Not right now. Your team's not in the position to say, let's just get to the end of the year and reassess. We can reassess right now. We're not good enough. And so we need to start building for the future right now, what that looks like, whether it's trading, whether it's getting guys, creating cap space, finding a way. You know, They have to start building for that future today, like you said, because you want to also have some guys that you bring in that maybe on the last year of their deal trade for someone else or get someone else in here and say, all right, prove it to me that you want to be here. Prove it to me that you can win, you can help us, and then maybe we'll pay you in the offseason. But you know, signing a guy to a $4 million deal to ride the bench and create a fire that's a really expensive four million dollar fire you had to light under ed ingram and uh, ezra cleveland there that's not going to help you win in the future Uh, and uh, and that is now in hindsight uh, a bit of a panicked move 
We got to try to save the season with a guard right away. And I, I, I remember saying this when it happened of like, Oh wow. Okay. They got a guard, but like, didn't they need that a couple weeks ago? And why didn't you do it then? Why do it now? And then their argument, I, I guess is, well, he was too expensive then, all right, but if you were really in on winning, then it wouldn't have been too expensive for you, right? It's like just a weird conundrum of where they stand. And you could still feel this tension of Kevin O'Connell is going to that podium every time now being like, I believe in this team. You hear me, you tall, gangly general manager? You, you hear me, you Wilfs? I believe. Don't buy into the general manager. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying there's a rift. Schism even? Uh, but... <laughs> I think there might be some different viewpoints on what to do right now, which would neglect them from doing it when they really should. And the longer you go, the less I'm paying for the player that I'm getting because I'm getting fewer weeks of him. And if my Super Bowl chances were even a flicker, I'd say, okay, but they're not. And, and, you know, teams are like, well, we could make the playoffs or uh, no, you're even your playoff chances are about 9% right now. Uh, And that just doesn't sound all that promising to me. So I guess the question is then if they don't end up blowing it up, and they just have history repeat itself. How, like, how do we believe this is going to be different? Is it really just they didn't extend the quarterback? Like, how much belief do we have that they're going to get this right this year, or just in like down the road? No, like, I don't care about this year. This, well, I mean, yeah, I do care about like, the this thing. deadline like, and this, stuff. But this yeah. year, this year, I feel like if we don't make some moves, if we don't make some moves this year, it gives me very little hope for next year. Like, I think if you start to see some moves made on the personnel and the player side, and you can start to see the direction, which we'll be able to see from the outside. Where are we going? How are we starting to lay the groundwork for what 2024 looks like? That type of thing. I will have some optimism optimism because that shows we're actually thinking about the future versus for the last five, six years, I feel like we've just kind of been paying for the sins of the father and just, oh, the can got kicked down the road. Who are we paying in dead money this year? Okay, guess we can't go do anything else right now. We have been playing defense the whole time with the cap situation, with how we've been handicapped with rosters and draft picks and guys on deals and guys getting moved out of here that we're paying because they weren't playing good enough anymore, whatever it may be. I want to see this front office go on offense a little bit. How are we going to start really shaping the future for the Vikings organization under this regime? Last year was great. We had a fun ride in 2022. We made the playoffs, all that stuff, all the fun. But like this year, obviously, it's not working. Are we self-sured enough that we are able and okay and comfortable in our own skin to say we're making our own changes now and that's what we thought was going to happen last year and it didn't because things were going well you don't blow something up when everything's fine but it really takes the true test of a character the true test of the the strength of an organization from the wilfs all the way down to look yourself in the mirror and say things aren't going well we have to make a change we have to do it now if we want to have our hope of having any future in two or three years yeah. And what I meant is, I mean, I don't care if they try to win now or like, ter- or I don't care like about no. the the present and trying to win, meaning I think that they should move out everything that they can possibly no. move out. But I agree with you that this is a very interesting test for everybody involved of like Kevin O'Connell, too. You're going to have to get on board with this man. And, and as sick as that has to make you as a coach. You just got to coach the players that they're giving you and and not this is where, you know, the whole collaboration thing sounds so sweet and wonderful. But 
we know that these egos get involved and interests get involved. And hey, what coach wants their win loss record to say four and 13 or five and 12? And then everyone's going to go, wait, Kevin O'Connell, was it just all luck? Does he even know what he's doing? And the whole offseason, O'Connell's probably not as good as we all said as a head coach. I guess he was, you know, one year wonder or something. He knows that's the deal. He knows he doesn't want those L's. And also, it's miserable AF to be in a locker room that's losing and losing but you made your own bed here you had the choice to be four and one right now you didn't do it and this is what i always uh, you know so we joke about tanking and everything else i call it living in reality you just have to live in reality but i think it's a test of the strength of the triumvirate of ownership head coach general manager to get on the same page here and do what needs to be done and regard look you can't go back and unfumble you already fumbled. And so there's this whole, well, we just fumbled. We're actually pretty good. No, no, no. You already fumbled. You can't take it back. You lost. So now you're one and four. And there's and there's no shot really at, at making a run out of this unless it is uh, Kirk's magic ride. So I, I agree. If there's no moves, then I'm going to kind of be like, I don't know. Don't love it. And then if there's if they win in Chicago and then lose to San Francisco and everybody stays because they think they could turn around – I don't know. Then the only thing different is you're going to draft a quarterback when the previous regime wouldn't, but you're not going to draft him at the very top. And then who knows from there how the draft plays out. If all these guys are actually first rounders. I mean, we heard this before where, oh, this guy's a first rounder. And then it doesn't turn out that's really the case. So this is a interesting pivot point in Vikings history. Um, What do you got for uh, love to see and hate to see? Oh, yeah, I got a couple good ones here. The hate to see it for me, we're going to dip into the college football bag. The Miami Hurricanes, what on earth are you doing? You got the game one. You got the greatest formation in football. All you got to do is walk out there. You dap up the D-lineman beforehand. Hey, good game, friends. We'll try again next year. You take a knee. You shake hands. You ride off into the sunset. No. We're going to just run the football and go out there and fumble it and then let them go 80 yards in two plays for a walk-off touchdown. That is a fireable offense for whoever decided that was a good idea, and you just hate to see it. You do hate to see it, Uh, although I have to say. So I went to the Gopher game. You hate to see everything involved with that. (laughs) You hate to see a coach who is not good at his job. He's not good at recruiting. He's not good at offense. He's not good at game planning he's not good at game management he's pretty good at interviews but i have yet to figure out what the hell else pj fleck is good at his christmas tree in his house is very big for my understanding yes that's impressive but i doubt he does that so that's all i got from the pj fleck era except for the players that he inherited who were pretty good and helped them be a decent team at first and then since then they've been trash and have been destroyed by teams like michigan that was one of the most grotesque performances i've ever seen and it and i went it was a beautiful night and 52,000 people showed up you've got support you have care and you just have a bad program. And at some point, maybe they'll realize this. I don't know if they will or not. Uh, that wasn't even my hate to see it. But I came home from the game because obviously I left in like the third quarter just in time to see Miami fumble that. And I, I, Josh McDaniels would be proud of it. That was going to be mine. Josh McDaniels, you need one yard. You're one and three. And you're like, no, 
send out the kicker for 50 something. Huh? Like why? Like there is such a clear cut. These guys are playing national football league, 2023, these coaches, and they're running away from the other coaches who are just like field goal. Like what, what are we doing here? Josh McDaniels head coach getting a win in that game was my hate to see it. And also Jordan love. I don't know. I don't know, man. Not looking great. We'll see. Hate to see that too, I guess. Uh, go ahead with your love to see it. I got a few I'm, I'm digging through here. What do you got? I love to see this actually is connected to Jordan Love and also to Bill Belichick. And uh, I saw criticism for Matt LaFleur. And I've also seen criticism for Bill Belichick. And what I love to see is people slowly realizing as it comes over their faces and brains that it was Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Thank you. I mean, Bill Belichick, such a genius. Everything he does is genius. His bad drafting, genius. Gets rid of star players, super genius. Way more genius than anyone else. Oh, his defense that he cheats and uh, films the other team's practice, genius. Wins all those Super Bowls. Oh, my gosh, he's just the best. Matt LaFleur, oh, man, he gets there. Turn that team around. So brilliant. 13 wins. One of the best coaches to start a career in history. And shockingly, shockingly, these things do not hold up. The second your legendary quarterback walks out the door, I can't believe it. Never would have seen it come. Uh, dude, the fact that you're just so right, it's so funny because the look on Belichick's face in these games is more panic than I can ever remember seeing him since the day I birthed this earth. Like you're seeing him on the sideline, just pure, like, I don't, I don't know how to make it stop. Like how this just usually just stops, right? Like someone will make the bleeding end and then, oh, it's, it's fantastic. You know, my... My love to see it. And I know I know people are going to kind of be like, well, they lost the game. The poise and the way that C.J. Stroud plays the game of football. You know, that game, it, they obviously didn't win, but he leads them on a should-have-been game-winning drive, takes them down the field, converts some big fourth downs. His poise reminds me a lot of, like, a veteran. You know, that's not something you see from young rookie quarterbacks and their ability to move the ball, operate, and it was an ugly, gross game. But for him to come out and lead that drive gives me a lot of promise for him. And I know we talked about him quite a bit on the show, but he's really fun to watch. He's a guy that I'm going to like love kind of keeping the track because you look at Justin Fields and you look at some of these other young quarterbacks coming to the league, he's operating above a lot of those guys, in my opinion. And, you know, it's just one of those things that as a quarterback in this league, you either got it or you don't. You know, you kind of just, you're a guy or you're not. There's no this like floating in between of, and I think CJ Stroud's a guy. And I think he's going to be a guy in this league for a long time. No, when you play against Georgia and you show the type of, you mentioned poise, I think this is such a huge thing that he did against the team that blasted the TCU 62 to seven. Like that's the competition you're going up against. Uh, Have you seen Jalen Carter in the NFL? That man was playing against CJ Stroud. He did not flinch. I mean, you know, hindsight's going to be what it is, but the whole like, oh, did he take a cognition test or whatever and all that stuff? I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have really enjoyed like 
what we saw him play football translate into him playing football like there there that's how it works uh but no i mean he's he's looked like the most mature starting quarterback right away that i mean i don't know who's the last one that has mm-hmm. looked like this good i burrow i thought burrow's team was an atrocity when he first came in the league and he had a lot of that so that's been fun to watch but last hate to see it for me is along these same lines one anthony richardson like getting hurt again I saw that they have like the hardest field turf in the league. You might want to change that. Uh, you ruined one quarterback already. <laughs> Don't ruin another one. Also, Frank Reich letting the cat out of the bag, the Panther out of the bag, if you will, that the ownership drafted Bryce Young. Now, that doesn't mean that a lot of teams wouldn't have drafted Bryce Young number one overall. Doesn't mean he won't be great. I actually kind of thought that at the end of the game, he didn't look like totally defeated against the Lions, which I thought was a positive sign. But Frank Reich, man, some ownerships are more involved. And this ownership, uh, what I love about it is they are, as the the gun is to the side of his head, <laughs> uh, much more involved. Um, tough, tough. Yeah. That's one we're going to talk about for a long time if it, if it works out the way it's looking so far. Yeah, and but that's how it goes too. It's so hard to evaluate a quarterback in college. It really is. You know, you have to look at who's around them, what type of player. Because if you're a great college quarterback, you're going to a dog team. Like that's just the way it goes. And I think a lot of college quarterbacks struggle with being the top dog, like Trevor Lawrence, Bryce Young, and C.J. Stroud. Like. They're throwing to NFL receivers playing seven on seven because they got three NFL offensive linemen standing in front of them in college. So when they get to the NFL, it's completely different versus you see some of the later round quarterbacks at times, right? Bright or not, excuse me. I mean, Dak Prescott, when he first got in the league and some of these dudes that have just had to like battle, right? They've just been battlers from from the grinders from the way up. Sam Howell. And it's like, yeah, they're used to these pressure situations. They're used to having dudes in their face and making these decisions quicker than it has to be. And it's not seven on seven. You see if some of those guys have earlier success in the league sometimes, but obviously the talent usually takes over eventually. It's like, well, this guy's just really that much more talented. But it is hard to yep. evaluate quarterbacks at the top end of the rounds when you're asking them to come save the franchise from a terrible situation. And that was exactly where the podcast froze, but we were right at the end anyway. And I think Jeremiah was just about to say that young quarterbacks are hard to evaluate because they need more amazing offensive linemen. And that is certainly the case with Bryce Young, who doesn't have any. So anyway, thank you all for watching and listening. And as always, it'll be Tuesday morning left guard, no matter what happens going forward. Thanks, everybody. Football.